Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender at Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter. And it's Wednesday, April 27th. We had a big slate yesterday in Major League Baseball. 11-game slate. We got a a little bit smaller one tonight. I think about seven, eight games, eight games maybe. I'm playing on FanDuel tonight. Um, Payout structure-wise, I played DraftKings yesterday. I played uh, FanDuel tonight. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about that. We'll we'll talk about uh, anything you want in the YouTube chat. You know I me, mean? I answer everything pretty much. Pretty much, I hit those thumbs up buttons. Those the, the the like button is it called thumbs? It looks like a thumbs up, right? So click it. Hit on it. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Good morning, Mart's mimic. You beat out Suki Singh by eight minutes. Good morning, Doug Montgomery, real life pitcher, Eric Brunick. Doug Montgomery, who came so close in the FanDuel pickoff last night. Third with 100, 211. Was in first for a while. Right, until maybe Spring, what, the Springer's home run at the end or something? I don't know. The Giants, someone from there, I don't know. I don't know what have knocked you out. Kyle Tucker, maybe? I don't know, on FanDuel. Jesse Atfield, Andrew Garcia, Trey. Right, yes, the story of yesterday was uh, if you didn't have Anthony Rizzo, don't, uh, you Probably didn't win first. I don't know. I don't see how it's possible. Maybe in really small field, maybe it's possible. But uh, but yeah, hundred percent of the top one percent lineups on DraftKings in this big GPP were Rizzo. Like if we go here by the Yankees, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, that's what happens when you hit three home runs in one game, especially when it seems like no one can hit any. Right. The beginning of this slate. There was like nothing, nothing went on. There was like five games going on for like almost an hour and no runs, right? I, I see warning track hits, Stanton to the track, right? Jake Berger to the track, right? There were, there were tons of, with exit velocity, velocities, 103, 105, you know, caught at the wall type of stuff. I'm like, come on, this is, this is getting ridiculous. And then it kind of picked up towards the end. Uh, but you needed, you pretty much needed that Yankee stack, right? Judge. Home run, Gallo, home run, Rizzo, three home runs, Torres, Torres had a home run, right? Whole bunch of dongs, whole bunch of dongs there. So that was, uh, that was the winning stack. They came in less owned than I thought they were, but, uh, but I, I think, I think the ownership came down on the Yankees because of the, the dicey weather situation. Were they going to play? If you li- if you listen to Kevin Roth, if you listen to crunch time, which we have free the entire season. So you could just watch that on YouTube. Normally, it's for premium members, but we're doing it free the entire season. Um, he said that it's a light rain. They should they should play through it, right? And then they had to like a slight delay, the delayed start, and they were just talking to the grounds crew. The, the, the players were even, if you were watching the broadcast, the players were already there. They were in the dugout and everything. And they didn't have the whole tarp out. They just had like the mound and the plate area. And then like 10 minutes later, they're like, okay, okay, we're good. Well, it's a little little light rain, and it's not going to get, get much, really much worse than this. Uh, and I guess people got scared off, right? Severino was 18% owned. I thought it would be more like 26% owned. I thought the Yankee stack in general would be around 10-ish, right? Judge would be like maybe like 13, right? Gallo, 9 to 10, you know, like, so like I had them as like, okay, right? So I had, I had a bunch of them, but more more in like three-mans than in five-mans. Uh, I had a bunch of the Marlins. The Marlins were doing well. They kind of did well. Like the, Mar- the Marlins, let's see, where, where's Miami? Miami here, right? Right, Chisholm, Sanchez, 
Yeah, because I had some because I had some good Wendell lineups. I didn't have that. It's not like I had that. I had 80 lineups. I think I had Wendell in five lineups. Right? Avi Garcia. Right? I mean, it's not like they put up enough points, right? You had Wendell with 30, but everyone else is kind of Gary Cooper with 12. Right. They could they could have done a little bit better. They could have done a little bit better. Uh, but I had a bunch of the Marlins. Well, I I had barely any Dodgers. That that was I mean, that was the dud of the slate, right? The Dodgers. People play what 20% Cody Bellinger on an 11 game slate, 19% Trey Turner. At least it's at shortstop. So I get it. 18% Mookie Betts, Muncie, Freeman, 17. Lux at the bottom of the order, 12%. Will Smith, 10%. It's like to me, this is easy. This is over owned on 11 game slate. So don't play much of them, right? That, that worked. I mean, it's not like I made money. So I didn't have enough Anthony Rizzo. I didn't have enough Yankees. Who else? I had the Mets. The Mets, uh, no, they didn't really. I mean, they guess McNeil, 10, 15, 12. I mean, not horrible or anything like that. And then also you had, uh, you know, you needed, uh, from, a, from a pitching perspective, uh, well, no, no, this this filter does not work, I guess. Does not work for pitchers. Okay, someone's going to have to fix that. Okay. You had Rodon. Rodon was very well owned, but you didn't even need him at 30, even with 30 points. Right, Gosman did well. Uh, Sandoval was the high-scoring pitcher, right? You go by sort by points, I guess we could get there. Gosman Lynch at twenty-eight and barely owned. Right, Chris Bassett. I, I was way over the field on Chris Bassett. He had twenty-five points. Like Bassett, Alcantara. Like I mean, you could. I just spread everything around pitching-wise. I was under on Rodon, but not way under. I saw it like forty percent. I had, I still had him in what, like thirty-something out of my eighty lineups anyway. On DraftKings, I much less a Gosman. I played a bunch of the, the 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 Red Sox. That didn't really work out. Although, like nothing really worked. <laughs> Unless you had the Yankees, nothing really worked out. Right? We see the the winning lineup, five man stack. Right? Five, two, one. There, done. Sandoval, Paddock. Look, no one in the lineup over ten percent owned. Total lineup ownership sixty one percent. You could win with these lineups if the chalk fails. Why not? Second place lineup. Right, not much different. Right, five main Yankee stacks, some one-offs, Gausman, Sandoval, done. Eighty percent total. Here's seventy percent total. Sandoval, Rodriguez, five main Yankee stack, three man Red Sox stack. You there? You're done. Right. Here's five, five, three with the the Twins. Kepler had a good game. Right. Still use Chalky Rodon at sixty four percent, so one hundred eight total. Right. Kepler was 09 percent owned. I don't mind playing lineups like this, like with the low, low ownership, but you know, especially batters fading. Like, no, why should batters be 20, 30% owned on a, on an 11 game slate? Yeah. 20, 30% owned on a four game slate. Okay. That seems a little bit more reasonable on an 11 game slate. There's just so many opportunities, so many opportunities for another team to do better than the chalky team. And even if the chalky team does okay, that doesn't mean anything. So people are like just rushing in to stack the Dodgers yesterday. I was like, why? There's, there's eleven. There's eleven games. So let's say the Do- let's say the Dodgers put up three home runs, right? Trey Turner has a home run, right? Freeman has a home run. Mookie Betts has a home run. That doesn't that doesn't mean you win automatically, right? There are other home runs out there. Well, instead of having Freeman, you have uh, you have you have Rizzo. Well, now you have. Now, now you have to make up two home runs there, 
Right. If you played the Yankees, if the, even if the Dodgers did do well, the Dodgers stack still wouldn't have been the winning stack. Highlights in, in, in baseball. Baseball is built around failure. Okay. If you're coming from NBA DFS, NBA DFS is way lower variance, way more projectable, non-event driven. So like playing lineups that are like, that look like this. Oh, a bunch of, bunch of single digit owned guys typically doesn't work. Right. Because they're low owned for a, re- for a reason. They project for lower, but be projecting for five points lower in basketball and five points lower in baseball are much different, much different. Now projecting five points, that's what? That's a double, right? That's a single and a run, right? They get on base, they get driven in. That's it. That's the difference. Five points in basketball is a two-point shot, an assist, a rebound. Several more events need to happen. So it's like, how do I pass? How do I pass up playing Cody Bellinger at 3,200? Because he'll get four at-bats and he could easily just go 0 for 4. He could easily go 1 one for four with a single, and he gets three points. Like most of the range of outcomes of batters in general, by default, are bad, or zero points, or nothing. Three points, five points. So you can't look at guys like Bellinger, Turner, Betts, Muncie as like, oh, I'm just going to stack them up, and uh, you know if they get their median outcomes. Right of eight to twelve points, uh, I think I, that's pretty good. Hopefully, they go over that. So, well, that, that 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 outcome is is you know that that's a twentieth, that's an eightieth percentile outcome. So, it happens twenty percent of the time or something, and eighty percent of the time they do nothing. It's like constant every day, constant constantly have to bang on the fact that like in the long run, if you were to play every slate, it'd be much better than just, I mean, to me, it's just easy. On the, yesterday's slate, it was easy for me to go, I'm just going to X out the Dodgers, play them in three-man stacks, not five-man stacks. Uh, so I'm way under on them. And then, you know, uh, the Braves were over-owned, it looks like. I, I didn't have any Braves, right? The Astros, I had a, a bit of. Right, let me take a look down here. Right, but I had, I had more of the Royals, I had Blue Jays, I had not as much, not as much of Texas. But like, there's so many other the, the play play. There's half the teams you could play pretty much. If you want to take shots on leverage stacks on low owned teams or whatever, you could go for it. Look, Max Kepler was less than one percent though, so why can't you play him? What's wrong with it? It's not like it's not like he's bad. It's baseball. Most of these batters will get about the same amount of opportunities. Yeah, they have slightly different matchups, different ballparks, sure. Different talent levels, obviously. But at the end of the day, Mike Trout could go 0 for 5 and another then the bottom of the, the the eighth hitter, the light hitting eighth hitter, second baseman for the Giants or something. Could hit a home run and a double and have five RBIs. That happens less often. But baseball is built around failure. Your goal, your goal is to take advantage of other people having a much higher expectation of the, the better projected teams than they really are. Go into the YouTube chat. 
Trey, uh, Blender, moving a Discord conversation over to YouTube. What are your thoughts on stacking or playing every team on an MLB slate? Do, what, what's wrong with that? As long as you're playing plus EV lineups. You have to stop thinking. You have to stop thinking that the number, anything about the number of lineups that you're playing has anything to do with strategy. It has nothing to do with strategy whatsoever. Okay? If I have 100 lineups, how much of each team should I play? There's, there's no correct answer. Play the highest expected value lineups you can. There are, there, are high, there are plus EV lineups for every team on the slate. So if you want to play every team on the slate, as long as they're individually plus EV, then go for it. Have fun. You'll be more diverse. Diversity doesn't have anything to do with strategy. If I were to, if I were to tell you, okay, here, I could, I could give you magically. I'm magically coming up in the top of my head. You're playing 20 lines, right? So let's just say you're playing. You're playing the 20 match or something. Okay, I could give you the, the, the 20 highest EV lines. Would you take them? You say yes. And whatever is all 20 are stacking the same team. They're the highest EV line. If we played the, if we played this out a billion times, you'd end up with the most amount of money at the end of it all with playing those 20 lines. You're, you're gonna lose like 98% of the time. Right, but when you win, you win big. Because you're not, you're not diverse in your set, so it's like you're just relying on pretty much one team's outcome, and then you have a whole bunch of combinations in them. But they're all plus EV lineups. Let's say I could give you twenty lineups that are plus that almost as plus EV as those twenty, but it's instead of 10, 20 of all one team, it's ten of two teams. Would you take that? Yeah, that's fine. Also, right. It's not the highest EV, and the difference between the EV is, is so marginal that you wouldn't even be able to tell, right? If I didn't tell you, you wouldn't know, right? Okay? So now there's 22 teams on a slate. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm, playing, I'm playing 22 lineups, right? Exactly. So I play one five-man stack of every team. You can't, if they're plus EV lineups, it doesn't, that, the number of times you play a team doesn't matter. How much is your risk tolerance as far as diversification? That's that's what that question really means. That's all that means. How how many stocks should I put in my stock portfolio? That's exactly essentially what you're asking. Is it wise to have to instead of of uh, having of owning twenty stocks at five percent each, that I own ten stocks at ten percent each, or five stocks at twenty percent each? Or one stock at 100%. The only, as, as long as you're picking good stocks, right? On a, on a five-year time horizon, let's say every, every stock you pick is going to go up, right? Because you're picking good, you're picking good stocks, right? Plus EV stocks. You know what the best answer would be five years from now if you knew what it would look like five years from now? It would be 100% of whichever stock went up the most, right? That would be the that would be the highest profit, right? Let's say out of the twenty stocks, there's one stock that went up over the course of five years only three percent. There's another stock that went up eight percent. Another stock that went up twenty percent. There's another there's another stock that went up four hundred percent, four x, 
right? Well, I, I only have 5% of each. Yeah, if you, play, if you had 5% of each stock, you, you made money. Not the most amount of money, but you made, you made money. And you limited the risk of the stocks going down, right? Because if one stock goes down really big, you still may end up making money because the other 19 stocks go up. That's diversification. That's risk management. But in hindsight, it's like, oh, I wish I would have put all my money in the stock that 4X. Yeah, but you don't, you don't know that beforehand, right? You don't know that beforehand. That stock could have easily dropped 50%. The volatile stock. You want to put all your money? Well, what's your risk tolerance? Yeah, you can't get the Forex return unless you, I'm going to dump most of my money into that stock. And if it goes down 50%, then oh, well, that's the risk that I took. The same thing when, when asking those types of questions. There's no, there's no strategy to that, right? If, if In stocks, if you, if you were an expert stock picker, right? You, you, read, you read the, what, the 10Ks or whatever? You're really good at picking individual stocks. You have a very lo- good track record like that you say well pick you, you can pick whatever stocks you want right and they're all they're all different standard deviations and they have different time horizons they have different everything but you're like okay these these are these are plus ev stocks but stocks go up and down right if your time horizon is f- even five years which is pretty short people think they need to buy stocks and you sell them three months later five years could be short in the course of that five years, the stock could go down 20%. Then at the five-year mark, you're actually up 40%. So as long as you hold on to it, right? You just, you know, forget your brokerage account password. So this is very similar to what, what you're doing with, with lineups. Well, this team is very under-owned. I'm going to play this team. They don't, they don't win often. Yeah, that's a plus EV team. But I'm playing 20 lines. Should I just play 20 lines of that team? That seems risky. Is that a bad strategy? It's like, no, it's the best strategy. It actually is the best strategy because you're playing the highest expected value lineups. You will get the most profit by doing that. You will also take on the most risk. Because in order to take on the most profit, you need to take on the most risk. But like we talked about yesterday, you can't think in DFS in terms of black and white. All or nothing. I want to play the most profitable lineups. Okay, they're going to have the absurd standard deviations. They're going to be absurd. If your goal is to play the most profitable lineups, is your goal to play not unprofitable lineups? Of course not. Well, if I had a choice between playing the most profitable lineup and a somewhat and a decently profitable lineup, which one? Which one? Wouldn't you want to have the most profitable one? Well, the one that's that's a little bit less than that may have a much lower standard deviation. And depending on your risk tolerance, you would prefer that than waiting for once in every 20 years that the other lineup wins. And when it wins, it wins a million dollars or something, whatever. Like those types of lineups. Okay, so do you want to play 20 of those types of lineups? Well, if, you're, if you're, you have a high risk appetite and a large bankroll and you're playing a very small percentage of it, you go based on like the Kelly criterion, you may, you, may, you may be fine. You're fine. That's perfectly fine. But let's say you're playing 5% of your bankroll and this represents, and then you, your, your risk is much, much lower. You're like, well, maybe, maybe I don't mind sacrificing some expected value for lower variance, lower swings. 
That doesn't necessarily mean Russian play. You know, oh, I'm going to play Rodon and the, and the Dodgers yesterday. But it doesn't mean like I'm going to I'm going to stack the A's against Rodon. You're like those types of lineups. Be like, no, I'll go a little bit off the board. Not build a lineup that's like absurdly. I mean, like absurd could write stacking the the A's against Rodon, stacking the with with the Red Sox against Gausman, right? The ultra leverage lineup five three, and then building twenty of those. Like you don't have to do that. You know how many? There's tens of thousands of lineups that are plus EV. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe, on an eleven game slate. They'll all have a different expected value. Added, added the, if we say that there's 10,000 plus EV lineups, that doesn't mean like, oh, some are like ridiculously plus EV. They're, they're from, on, on a dollar value. They're, oh, what, these, these lineups are worth $2.50 on the dollar. And some of these lineups are just only worth $1.15 on the dollar. That, there's not that wide of a spread in DFS. When I say the most profitable lineups, maybe we're talking about a lineup that from a dollar, from a, a uh, dollar to dollar gain basis is a dollar 48, right? Which means for every dollar you put into that lineup, so it's a $15, your average return is X. Of course, most of that average comes from winning your very top finishes in that average. So a high one could be a dollar 48. A low but profitable one would be like a dollar 17, right? Because you have to beat the rake, right? A dollar two ain't going to cut it. So a dollar seventeen would be a lower one. A mid one would dollar twenty nine, right? But maybe you want to play more of those dollar twenty nine lineups. That when you put you put in a thousand dollars, and when it doesn't work out, maybe you get seven hundred back, right? You only lose thirty percent of your money, twenty percent of your money. Put all your money into the dollar forty eight, the highest DV. You're gonna have a lot of slates where you put in a thousand, get back nothing, get back zero. You have to survive that 19 out of 20 slates before you see a problem. Are you, are you willing to go through those swings? You'll end up with more money at the end. You will end up with a little bit more money. But is it significantly more money that you're willing to take the risk? These are diversification questions, not strategy questions. Your first goal is to build plus EV lineups that on average are better than the field. That's it. And if you can do that, you're profitable. So if you if you want to play 20 of the same team, 10 of two different teams, five, five of four different teams, that none of that matters. Are the lineups individually plus EV? And the higher the higher projected, remember the levers, projection, correlation, leverage. The higher projected the lineups are, the higher equity they have in the middle of the prize payout structure. So if you play the highest projected lineups, you have mo- most of your equity is in that like, like 40 to 40% sometimes, which you don't cash at 40%, but you're, you're in that min cash area, right? You get this like distribution where you, you rarely didn't finish last, but you also rarely finish first. But you finish in the middle a lot. Right, that's with high projection, high leverage. If you're going all the way up on the leverage scale, it'll be inverse. Right, you'll see you'll see a distribution curve that looks looks a little bit more like this. Right, the opposite. A lot of last, a lot of first. Right, not much in between. Right? When I say first, like towards the top one percent, top five percent. 
How about in the middle, right? You don't have to do one or the other. How about lineups that project not the best, but not horribly, that are leveraged, but not over, not ridiculously leveraged, like this, right in the middle. Now, now your distribution curve should look kind of like, like this way. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a bell curve, right? It'll look a little bit more like a hockey graph, like a, like a little hockey curve in a way. So basically you're sacrificing equity in that middle zone. Not all, it's not like the high leverage lines where you're sacrificing it all. You're sacrificing a chunk of your, your the middle mid-range outcomes to gain a little bit more in the low end and a little bit more in the high end, right? But you still get some of the mid-range outcomes that when you play, when you play lineups, you know, you'll min cash more often if you don't come in. You have more, you have more first place equity. The lineups that have just projection have almost no that have almost very little first place equity, right? So you're sacrificing a little bit of that min cash equity that, that a lot of other people are getting by playing Rodon plus Dodger stacks or something. And very with Zach Collins at, at Thatcher, right? They're building pseudo cash lineups for MLB. So you're sacrificing a little bit of that to get a lot more of the top 5%, top 1% equity. That's DFS. There you go. I, I've explained how to play DFS. That's in GPPs. That's what you're doing. So as long as the lineup, as long as that individual lineup conforms to that, those would be the higher, those would be positive expected value lineups. At what extent are they plus EV? I don't know. Some are higher than others, but your goal is to just have on average higher than the field. And you should show a profit. And there you go. So how many, as long as that lineup, you could look, I could look at any team on the slate and go, well, how about, uh, how about the Tigers? Okay. You can build a plus EV lineup with the Tigers. You can build a plus EV lineup with any team on the slate. Now, the higher projected and lower owned they are as a team, I guess, the more plus EV lineups exist for those teams. Okay. Very similar to that Marbles example that I gave yesterday. Oh, I'm not going to play the A's against Rodon. That seems stupid, right? Stacking against the best pitcher on the slate. Yeah, but you're, you're slamming the leverage up. But in those lineups, if you play them with the Dodgers, if you play them with the highest projected players, you go, I'm going to play uh, an A stack with Gausman and Severino and play Trey Turner. It's short and whoever projected the best everywhere else. I mean, that lineup's fine. That's, a pl- that's, pro- that's probably a plus EV lineup. How many of those lineups exist like that? How many combinations exist like that? Not as many as Blue Jays stacks, not as many as Yankee stacks, not, just not as many of them. So if you're like, I'm going to build 150 of them, hey, maybe, maybe there aren't even 150 lineups that look like that, that are plus EV, right? But there are, there are going to be some, right? Typically, you're making up for the fact that uh, the, the, the A's projections are so low by boosting guy getting the the rest of your lineup is going to have the highest projection possible right so you, you're you're jamming up on that leverage lever but this projection lever is coming down really quickly so it's like okay well i already got five guys in my team that are is jamming leverage up and projection is going all the way down it's like how do i balance that 
Okay, I got to get this projection up. So you're playing Dodgers in that type of lineup. You're playing whatever. Whoever projects the best in those types of lineups. You're not getting sneaky at pitcher in those types of, just whatever. However way to get that projection up, that's what you're probably going to be doing, right? And then the opposite for the Dodgers. So it's like, oh, how do you, who Dodgers stacked over-owned, right? Who's stupid enough to play the Dodgers as chalk on an 11-game slate? There are tons of plus EV Dodgers lines. They probably don't, most don't have Rodon in it, right? Most don't have the Braves, don't have, you know, like other chalk pieces. They would be like, well, I'll play a five-man Dodgers stack and I'll play, you know, the Twins or something. As the other go, three one-offs that are all like 2% up. And you don't play Rodon in that lineup. You play Sandoval in that lineup. You play Sandoval and Gausman or something like that. Sandoval and Severino. The five chalkiest Dodgers. And you play Max Kepler. You play play some of these 2% on hitters. That would be fine also. That lineup may actually have the same expected value as the A stack. May actually be this, the, the very similar expected value. So which ones do you play? Whichever ones you want. How many of each? Whatever you, as as long as they're plus EV. What does it matter? I told you, okay, you have to pick three out of these lineups. 1.32, 1.29, 1.27, 1.25, 1.34, 1.31, 1.28. Like just, and I keep on going. Pick three of them. Which three do you pick? They're all close enough. Yeah, I want to pick the three highest ones. Oh, the three highest ones that 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 numbers by by ascent are all three from the same the same stack. You may go, well, I don't mind sacrificing a, a penny over the course of a billion years, right? The sake of not the for the sake of lowering my risk by not having by I'll have two of that stack, but one of that like that. You're obviously making less money, but from doing so. But you're doing it for a risk tolerance reason, right? Rarely does anyone in these in these GPPs play tons of lineups that are the highest EV lineups. Most people do not play the highest EV lineups, right? Because the highest EV lineups are, are are insane, are insanely. Like I said, if you stack if you stack the A's, like you. you, you with Rodon and whatever, like those, those lineups probably have like very high expected value, but like almost all of it is winning once, like in three seasons, right? I mean, like, like almost all of it comes from like one or two really high places. But then everything else is like, you don't even, you don't even come even close in the min cash or come close to being in the top 100 or anything. So understand those lineups are yes. If if you had a, if you had a twenty million dollar bankroll and you're playing less than one percent of your yeah yes, you can play a lot of those types of lineups if you wanted to, right? But there there's ten thousand, fifty thousand other plus EV lineups that do you have do you have to play a lot of those? So if you're playing one hundred and fifty, maybe you do sprinkle some, right? When I play when I play a hundred lineups, when I play eighty lineups, I'll be like, yeah, this is a good leverage spot, like Boston yesterday with Gausman being a little bit chalky at 25%. Like I thought Boston, I thought Boston rated out as, as a good way 
easiest way to win first place, right? 25% on pitcher, right? I'm not going to stack against Rodon, but I'll stack against Gosman. Boston was cheap enough. So in my, in my 80 lineups yesterday, did I play 80 of them? No. Could I have played 80 of them? Of course I could. How much risk do I want to give on a slate? If I could, I could, I could have built 80 plus EV Boston stacks. I could have. I could have built 80 plus EV Dodger stacks if I wanted to. Right. I chose a certain my my over the course of my portfolio. Here's here I chose the risk that I wanted and tried to build plus EV lineups regardless. That's what your goal is. Uh, Jesse Atfield, do we get a refresher overview of MLB cash lineup building? Yes, I could do that very quickly. Okay. The cash, okay, everyone pay attention to this. This is going to be very important, okay? You have to, you have, you have to really get closer to your screens, get, clo- get as close as you can to the Houston screen, okay? This will be very important because I'm going to go over the, the building cash lineups in MLB DFS. Okay, so you have to really put a, put aside if you're eating breakfast right now, put it down. If you're dealing with if you have a kid or something like that and they're crying, put put them, drug them, make them go to sleep. Right, put them aside. Right, if there's if, they, if you have a landscaper lawn lawnmower, if then your neighbor go outside yelling them say got to stop, got to stop the lawnmower, got to have a hundred percent turn off the TV, turn off anything else. Okay, it's a refresher. Of MLB lineup cash build, cash lineup building. Okay, I'm on I'm on FanDuel right now. Okay. And I'm gonna I'm doing I'm doing that thing where I'm pausing dramatically so everyone like gets closer. So they they, they know like this is gonna be very important. Like that I, I don't give this away that often. Right. Well, maybe the most important important segment of the history of this show. But I go, I go to the to the I go to like to the back projections, right? Because I use Derek Carty's back projections. And I'll and I'll show you my 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 this is my exact. If I were to play MLB cash, because I don't, I rarely do. I get into spells every once in a while, but I'll play cash for three weeks or something. But here you go. Okay. You're gonna have to take notes. Yeah, everyone go get a paper. Go get a sheet of paper. You're gonna have to take notes. I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if all of this is gonna fit into your head, right? You may have to, you may have to watch this video multiple times. You may have to memorize it. You may have to, I may have to transcribe it, right? In order to get to understand, truly understand, building cash lineups in MLB. Okay, so I go to lineup HQ, right? Or Whatever projection, if you make your own projections, good. Use your projections. If you don't use our projections, you some okay. Those are the those are the projections that you're using. Obviously, you update them to make sure that they're as as you know all the starting lineups are in and everything like that. So what I do when I play cash is that I go, I go, I'm okay. It's updated. Everything's there, right? Now all all of these numbers over here, I don't even look. I, I look I look at zero. Right. So how do I select my pitchers? I don't I don't look at pitch. I don't I have no idea who the pitchers are. Do I look at the team totals? No, I don't look at all. I don't I, like it's a very, very, very precise process. Okay. I see Brian Hawkins, he got to get the notepad out. Okay. So once my projections 
are loaded into the optimizer, right? The median projections, and remember, in cash games, your goal is to have the highest median line that has the best chance at beating half the field, a 50th percentile outcome, which is kind of, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of convenient that we have median projections, right? Your goal is 50th percentile outcome. Well, wow, we actually have the 50th percentile outcomes in the range of outcomes on our checkpoints. So I want the I want I want the mo the highest chance of that. So what I will do is I will go to this button. I know it's a big word. I know it's a big word for you, but it's called optimize. Okay, so you go to this button. What's that? What that's going to do is it's going to fill out fifty thousand or whatever amount of set or whatever thirty five thousand of FanDuel, the amount of salary and try to jam as much of this median projection into one lineup within the positional constraints. It's called a knapsack problem, okay? So I'm gonna just press that button based on the projections that I have. And you see this lineup that shows up? That's what I put in. <laughs> everyone take those notes. Every, everyone take those notes. There you go, you're done. Is that a good refresher? Was that a good enough refresher for people? Do I have to repeat that? Do I have to go over that? Okay. Now, if we take a look here, here's, a, here's advanced. Here's an advanced MLB cash game. Okay. Advanced, very advanced. I'm going to turn all this off. Does a salary, nothing matters, right? Okay. I'm going to build 10 lineups with defaults, right? This one should be number one, right? Right here, 140.25, okay? Do you see the difference between lineup one and lineup two? Lineup one and lineup two is a 2v2, I believe, right? We have Jordan Montgomery, Guerrero, Story. Okay, so Chapman, Devers. So basically Alvarez, Alvarez and Chapman for Devers and Miller is the 2v2 between the top two lineups. This lineup projects for 140.25. This lineup projects for 140.19. The difference of 0.06, okay, in median based on projections. You know how small of a difference that is? Really small. Really, really, really small, especially when you bang variance against everything. That's really small. Right, the next lineup is 140.11. This one has Bo Bichette in it, and Corey Seager as the uh, as the utility, and has doesn't uh, still has Kyle Tucker. Right, Springer, Trout, Bichette. This is just a one v one. It's just Bichette over Bogarts over. It's not much different, right? Right. Next one is 140.08. This one has Dalback in it. And pays up for Vlad. Okay, so this one didn't have... Oh, this one had Vlad. It pays up a little more, 34.7. Here's 140.04. That's pretty much the same thing, but it has Taylor Warden here instead. And Alvarez, and this one doesn't have Alvarez. Right? Here's 139.9. So we're getting a little bit further away, but only the difference of a third of a point. Okay. It's mostly the same players, just on a 2v2. Here's one with Solaire. 
139.86. And Raphael Devers, right? Like, you know what the difference between all these lineups that I'm showing you, these 10 lineups? Barely anything. Barely anything. Over the course of a billion trials, and if the predictions are the most accurate, this lineup number one would be slightly better than lineup number two. Slightly. If we played a billion times, the difference of your results in double ups, head to heads, whatever, in ROI between playing the first lineup a billion times and the second lineup a billion times, maybe in total, after a billion trials, you'll have maybe an extra dollar. Dollar, maybe. Right? It's worth maybe, maybe a buck. Maybe a buck. The next one, maybe a dollar three. Not on average. I'm talking about in total. So on average, less than a cent difference. Okay? Start going down, now maybe it's a nickel difference. Maybe it's a dime difference. Right? If we're down to 137 or something, maybe, maybe it's a, a couple of buck difference. What's the lesson I'm trying to teach you? You're going to pick any one of these 10 lineups, any one of the top 20 lineups, any one of the top 50 lineups, probably. And uh, from a long-term perspective, it shouldn't, it, it doesn't matter that much, right? Top, the top one, the ones towards the top will be slightly over, remember, not over a season, over a week. I'm talking about over uh, 700 lifetimes, okay? So understand I'm always exaggerating so you understand that point. That, remember, 10 seasons is not, a, is not a big sample size when it comes to DFS, okay? So if you played 700 lifetimes, that would be a big sample size. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. So over the course of 700 lifetimes of playing DFS, every day and every slate forever until the universe explodes, the difference between lineup number one and lineup number two We'll net you an extra $3. Not per time, like at the end. So it's worth less than a penny, right? I'm being very exaggerated. It's probably not, not that, that extreme, but I want to get you into the mindset of thinking that way. So if you told me, which lineup should I play, one or two? It shouldn't matter. Flip a coin. If you always want to just say, I'm just going to press the whatever the top lineup is to me, okay. The highest, you can't go wrong with that. But if you like, you look at this and you go, well, I don't want to play. I don't want to play that guy. Right? I don't want to play. I want to play this guy. I want to make sure to play that. Then do that. That's fine. If you look down, if you look here and you go, I don't want to play Brad Miller in a cash. Okay, then don't. Right? This lineup doesn't have Brad Miller in it. This lineup doesn't have Brad Miller in it. This lineup, this lineup is, do I really want to play Bobby Dahlbeck at 2,400 in cash? I mean, look at that. Well, based on your projections, that this lineup is perfectly fine. But if you're like, I don't want to play Bobby Dahlbeck, then don't play this lineup. Play the next line. Okay, I don't want to play Taylor Ward. Then don't play that lineup. Play this line. Right? You go down here. It's like, I don't want to play Jorge Soler. Even though the projections say that this lineup's total is X, you know, then don't play it. You go, it's all, oh, I want to play Gallo. Okay, there you go. Here's the lineup. Montgomery, Guerrero, Story, Devers, Seeger, Gallo, Tucker, Springer, Trout. You go, I like this lineup. Okay, then play it. Done. You're done. That's it. That's the process. Me, personally, I don't care about the names. I just thought, whatever. 
But if I, you, you could also have a process where instead of going, I like this over that and going, I want to select between the top 10 lineups. Why don't you just run the top 10 lineups and then go to random.org, random.org, right? Allow all, I don't know what, and go min one, max in, and go, which, which lineup do I play? Right, some number, random number between one and 10. Okay, I'm playing lineup number four, and that's what you enter. You know why you could do that? Because the difference between these lineups are, are so marginal that why are you spending time on it? Right? You could, we could build 20 line, the top 20, top 50. Do it at random.org. But in one to 20, in which it's 17. Okay, you play the 17th line. You want to do it that way. A lot of people just like, well, you can't go wrong by just playing the top projected median optimal. Okay, go and do that. Perfectly fine. Oh. Scorpion McSorp, is there a way to improve team stack exposure diversification? My optimizer gives me seven Houston Dodger stacks. I want seven Houston five-man stacks with all different teams in the off stack and only one of them being LAD. No, you have to you have to fiddle, you have to fiddle with the optimizer to do that. Player exposures, any whichever way you can. There's no one way to do that. Obviously, the, the most blunt way of doing that. Two blunt ways of doing it. One, you up the number of unique players. Like, let's say you're building all five, three lineups. If you put unique lineups five, unique players five, it's almost impossible for you have to have the same three-man stack with every five-man. It's impossible because you're replacing five, right? You'll get a lot, a lot more. You have a lot more likely to, to do that. Of course, you get to the extreme that at the bottom end of your lineup portfolio, you may have garbage. So if you're going to do something like that, most likely you're building a lot more lineups than what you need and then weeding out the crap. The other way is to just use ownership zone. Right? If you're, using, if you're getting too much Houston Dodge, if you get Astros Dodger stacks, what's the total ownership of those lineups? From yesterday's slate, those were two more chalkier teams. So if you're getting too much of the that, then... The ownership, some of those lineups are 160, 150, 162. What, then, you know, add it, cut them out. Set the ownership sum is 140 at the max. And it'll cut more of those out. Or build more lineups than what you need and cut the ones that you don't want. Right? If you're building 100 lineups, build 200. Right? Build 200 lineups and then go, well, I get, I, I have seven. Astros Dodger stacks, right? So you go to those seven, you go, I don't want seven of them. I only want two of them. Okay, get rid of five. They're done. You're done. Doesn't seem that complicated. Camden Wallen, what made you diversify so much a pitcher last night? Not, no reason. Because projection? If I'm, not, if, I'm, if I'm playing less of Rodon and, and, and much less of Gausman, I'm I'm gonna play whatever whatever projects better. How much to how why do you diversify in baseball to begin with? Let's get that down to the very beginning. Baseball is a game built on failure. Okay. Baseball is a high variance event-driven game. Okay. Most most slates I play for I play for people to fail, not for people to succeed. That's how I focus on things, okay? 
So if Rodon fails and Galsman fails, well, I'm going to still need two pitchers. Which two pitchers are going to do well? I don't know. I have projections. Yeah. So whichever fits in. Whatever fits in. I don't care. I don't know who's going to do it. So do I want to say, do I want to take a stand? Yes, I want 70% Chris Bassett. What makes me think that Chris Bassett is going to score more than, than Sandy Alcantara or, or Max Freed or Pablo Sandoval? I don't know. There's so much variance in baseball. So from a risk perspective, if I have nothing that, that they all project point for dollar and in the lineups that I'm building about the same. So I'm more likely to have a much wider diversification, right? It's not something I'm intentionally doing. I'm playing more of the over-owned teams, more of, of the under-owned uh, teams and pitchers, and less of the over-owned teams and pitchers. And from everything else, everything just falls where it falls. I got some Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman was slightly under-owned. So I got a little bit of him. Not much, because he didn't project. Raw point-wise, didn't project all that great. Right? In comparison to Eduardo Rodriguez or Chris Pack, who I had much more of. Because they projected hot. But am I going to have 80% of those guys? No. Baseball is a game built on failure. Most slates, I, I, I don't even have, for a large, large slate, most slates, I won't have more than 20% of a batter ever. Oh, that, uh, and I know what you're thinking. Oh, so I put in the max for 20. No, I don't put in the max for 20. I don't put in those numbers. But when you don't have much more than 10% of a stack, it's hard to get more than 20% of a batter. Well, how about the, uh, the, 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 the one-offs that are highly projected? Yeah, they're also highly owned. And since I'm reducing my ownership, I'm not going to get a lot of those people either. Right? So it naturally comes out that way. So yesterday's slate, you know, it was, built, it was built on. It was built on uh, the Dodgers failing and the Braves failing. I didn't have any Braves. I had some Dodgers. And Rodon not being needed. And then whatever, and, Gal, and Gausman failing also. Because I had a bunch of Red Sox. But I still played some Gausman in some lineups. So it's like, okay. I don't care who the staff, I don't care which the winning team is. Just as long as I properly leverage projected lineups. That's it. KJK, is pitch type data not part of your process? No. I do not look at any Major League Baseball stats whatsoever. Okay? Zero. And pitch type data is the worst data to look at. If anything, I would say any pitch effects data, that type of data, never look at. Never. It, it could only be worse for you. Pitch effects data is by far, well, BVP is by far the worst data to look at. But pitch effects data is throw it out, get it, block. Your five block anything. If if you hear anyone that says this batter hits sinkers well, then you're you're listening. You're listening to someone that does that doesn't understand what pitch effects data is. Pitch effects data is not predictive. Pitch effects data is descriptive. So there's no such thing as a guy hits that they're described. These are descriptions of pitches in the past. Okay, so to understand to understand. 
why pitch effects data is not predictive. Let's let's uh, let I'll give you a very extreme example. Very extreme example. Okay, let's say there's a batter that uh, you see has an absurd at he he's two hundred sliders faced. He's hit he's hit sliders uh, out of two hundred sliders. He's hit uh, eighty for home runs. Right. And he has a 1,000 batting error. He's literally, okay, let's just make it 200 sliders faced and he's, he's batted 1,000 on the sliders. Two, two, 200, on 200 sliders. You go, wow, this guy could really hit sliders, right? That's because that's what it will show. It will show you he's faced 200 sliders. He's hit 80 home runs. He's hit 50 doubles. He's hit a ton of, he's like, oh my God, this guy is, is the god at, at hitting sliders. Okay, now he's facing Randy Johnson this coming game, right? Prime, prime, peak Randy Johnson, who probably has the best slider in the history of baseball. Okay, you, you, you obviously you got to play him. Well, no one's going to want to play any batter against Randy Johnson, but this guy hits sliders like his look. Jesus, every slider he's hit, half of his sliders go up. Why, why is that flawed? Right? You know, let, let, now, now I'll give you, now I'll give you, in the data, it says that he's faced 200 sliders. I was pitching. <laughs> I was pitching. It was not a major league baseball player, right? It was me pitching, right? It was me throwing sliders, right? Throwing a 67 mile, and I don't even know, if, I don't think physically you could throw a 67 mile an hour slider, but let's just, just say, because typically sliders need velocity. Right? Uh, but let's just say, let's say it's 16 year old high school pitcher that's pitching sliders that they're technically sliders, right? They do slide a little, but really they're not, they're really, they're really kind of like fastballs, right? But they move a little bit. They move enough on that, on that, on that X axis that it will be described by pitch effects as a slider. Okay. So this batter has been facing 14-year-olds pitching pitches described as sliders and hitting them really well. But he's never faced a major league 97-mile-an-hour slider, even by, not even from Randy Johnson, just from random who cares pitcher, any pitcher in the major league. The guy goes, you go, I got to play this because he hits sliders so well. And then you go and you wonder why why you struck out four times. Go, But it says he, he, he hits sliders this pitcher throws sliders all the time. Do you see how the data is flawed? Also, let this guy has faced uh, 60, 60 sliders uh, over the past year. You know how small the sample size that is also? It's descriptive and a small sample size. And on the other hand, the types of pitches, number one, all these pitches, when they say sliders, breaking balls, there's no such thing as any of these pitches. These are just descriptors. So different pitchers have different looking pitches based on the X and Y axis of how their ball travels, right? So it's not just like, well, if a pitch goes like this, it's a slider. If a pitch goes like that, it's a curveball. Well, what happens right in the middle? How about right in the middle? It, what's that described as? Well, sometimes it's described as a curveball and sometimes it's described as a slider. Sometimes it's described as a sinker. Sometimes like you're just getting an overall bucket of 
this of an XY axis motion. And then it just gives a descriptor. But different pictures look differently. Different, different release points, right? Some batters are like, you know, I'm like, oh, this pitcher has a weird release point and he's a slight second behind, you know, some type of breaking ball or something. Even though on the y, X to Y axis, it looks the same as the other breaking balls that he's done well in. It's, just, it's a release point thing. So the descriptor is a breaking ball, yet this pitcher somehow strikes him out with it because of his release point. That's not in the data. There's no data on that, right? You're not seeing that. Then also, pitchers, there are pitch, take Pedro Martinez, right? Pedro Martinez, one of the most effective pitchers of all time. Uh, why was this fastball so effective, right? He struck tons of people out on fastballs, 98 mile an hour fastballs. That if you objectively look at that fastball in today's game and someone threw that 98 mile an hour fastball, it, it's, it's, his fastball isn't isn't the reason why Pedro Martinez struck out so many batters. His fastball wasn't. There's no such thing as a good fastball. He just throws it, just throws it pretty much down the middle, right? He's a pretty good control pitcher, right? You know why? Because he had an 82 mile an hour changeup that looked exactly the same as the fastball. That's the reason he was a great pitcher because of his changeup, right? So he struck tons of people out on high fastballs. Because the fastball and the changeup look, from a spin perspective and a release perspective, the same. But one goes 97 and one goes 82. So people, the batters are either way in front or way behind. So you'd see 90, 97 mile an hour fastballs, he's striking people out left and right. And then he, he's facing, now he's facing a hitter that's great at hitting those high fastballs, right? And those high fast, and then the next thing you know, the, the guy doesn't do anything. Why? Because the because he threw, threw two change ups in in the middle and the batters couldn't get behind because he's looking for the change up and a fastball comes in and he's late. What is how does any of that show in the pitch effects data? It doesn't. These are all descriptive measures. You could do do a search on Fangraph. There's a, there's an article. There's one or two articles uh, on Fangraphs they've posted a while ago about pitch effects data. And they have all the pitch effects data. If you go to Fangraphs, you can find all the pitch effects data. You go on uh, Plate IQ, I believe here, you can get the pitch effects data, but it's descriptive. It's not predictive, right? So using that, there's no such thing as the guy hits this pitch that it, it could be true. It's like BVP. It's like, it could be, we wouldn't have any clue how to gauge if it is or not based on it being a descriptor and it also being small sample size. Right. So, and so if it mattered, it would, secondly, if it did matter, it would already be in the projection. I believe Cardi uses X and Y access and spin rates in the bat projections, but not, but not in the way of describing pitches. So it's, how does this batter do against a and it typically probably cluster probably clusters stuff together so it's not individual pictures spin rate spin rate x and y axis so you don't have to worry about what is it called is it called is it what's the difference between a four seam fastball a two seam fastball right different spin it's different spin 
this curveball versus that slider versus this. Uh, the, the, you have the cutters. Cutters look different than, I mean, half the time you can't even tell the difference between a cutter, a cutter and a, and a sinker. And like a lot of, you're like, okay, it's kind of on the line. What, what do we do? Okay, we'll call it this. If it's on the other side of the line, we call it that. Like you have to think, you have to think much more. And even then the X and Y axis and the spin rate stuff isn't all that, isn't all that predictive to begin with either. But all that's anything that the proper weight of that would already be in the projections. If you're using good projections would already be in there. But that's the explanation. So if you go, this guy hits curveballs, well, that, that there's no, it, that could be, you're right. It could be true. It could be true. It could also mean that he's hit curveballs from really bad pitchers that had really bad curveballs. But he's, he could hit bad curveballs really well. Most batters can't, right? Good curveballs can't, right? This guy hits curveballs really well this season, right? He's had four home runs on curveballs. Yeah, from, from the relief pit and the, the Angels bullpen. He's facing Clayton Kershaw. Right? Oh, Kershaw throws so many curveballs. This guy's, there's a difference between Clayton Kershaw's curveball and, you know, some double-A pitcher that shouldn't be in the majors thrown out of the bullpen for the Angels. I mean, there's a difference. They're both going to be described as curveballs. And how will you know what's the difference? Much better to go by this pitcher is good and that batter is bad. That pitcher is good, like, overall, rather than go in... Well, this guy doesn't do well with these types of play. You, it's too noisy. It's too noisy and it's too descriptive. So there you go. So there's a little little lesson. A little lesson. We talk, we talk about the difference between predictive and descriptive in the theory of daily fantasy sports, right? We talk about that in the third chapter, I believe. Maybe, maybe it's in here. It's in here somewhere. Maybe we didn't list it in part of the table of contents. Predictive power. Okay, we, we have it in there. Predictive power, right? Sample sizes and manipulation, right? Variable me measurement. We talk about it, right? Those types of things. Like, oh, what, you know, what would go into projections? Why would, what, what is the difference between a predictive and descriptive stat, right? And pitch effects data is, is, is not predictive. So if you want to go to theoryofdfs.com, Go pick that up. How to think like a professional DFS player. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass taught by myself and James McCool. Like a little seminar. You can go back and watch 500 hours worth of the show for the past two years to get everything that's pretty much in here. But uh, if you want one little, you know, 15-hour seminar with all of the information that you'll need, go get it. Theoryofdfs.com. And uh, we got a, a slate tonight. I'll be playing a FanDuel, so we won't have results TV for that. But I'll review it. I'll review it tomorrow, right? Could answer a lot of questions, right? I thought maybe we'd start doing build lineups for tonight or something. I have no idea. Typically, I, I mean, I, I barely look at the slate until like an hour before lock anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, give me those thumbs ups, thummy thumbs on your way out the door. We got, we got more shows later today. We've got live locks on the scores and odds channel. For some uh, prop bets, MLB, NBA, whatever. Grant's doing some prop bets. Got Grinders Live going over uh, the, the the slates tonight. I think the, both sites have similar, right? Seven o'clock. I think they're similar. So that, that should be on around five o'clock. Then Crunch Time is free for premium members. And uh, you could always join me in the, the Roto Grinders Premium Discord. 
I have my own channel, Blenders Game Theory, right? We'll be doing another coaching call tomorrow in the channel. So sign up today for Roto Grinders Premium. Click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. And I will see you tomorrow answering your DFS strategy questions, as I always do, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. <laughs>